So today we are at the beginning, very beginning of the Discovery Seminar, and uh, we're just starting session one, which is exploring membership at Sovereign Grace Church of Pasadena. So we want to just just really take this opportunity to thank you for coming and welcome you. And uh, you have in front of you a notebook that has everything in it. And uh, so we will be sticking pretty close to the notebook. We do uh, typically just stick close to it, uh, especially today. So I want to just uh, pray and start as we as we begin. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for the opportunity to be together, for the opportunity to just really dig in once again into your word and let your word wash over us and let it really affect us. And so we trust you to use this for your glory. I pray you bless those that are here today. Let them experience your grace and favor. And Lord, I pray that as they seek to define where you want them to live out their lives uh, and um, experience community in a local church uh, for the time, however long you have them here, that you will uh, guide and direct their hearts in that process. Uh, we thank you for doing that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, just follow along in that notebook. Uh, we're just going to basically talk about the class. What the, what's the purpose of the class here and introduce you to the church and what does it look like to follow Christ at Sovereign Grace Pasadena. That's what we're doing here. We're following the Lord. So you're not here following particularly necessarily uh, this church's doctrines. You're, the whole desire is that you're following the Lord and seeking to find a church where you can do that most knowledgeably and effectively. And so uh, the other thing, so we're going to talk about what the church believes. We're also going to talk about what it looks like to follow Christ here at the church. And so that, that I hope that by doing this, you can find out what, it, what, what it, the experience is going to be like of being a member here at, at Sovereign Grace. And so we believe, clearly believe, that uh, membership in a local church is an important part uh, of your Christian life, important part of your commitment to follow the Lord. And so we're going to be covering these areas today. First of all, we're going to talk about the local church in this first session, uh, why membership matters. Why, why do we believe in membership? Secondly, we're going to talk about our doctrines. Uh, Bill will be doing that. And then Luke will come in and do our priorities, the values that shape our church. And then finally, our communities. What commitments are we making to each other? So I, hopefully, what this class will definitely do, I hope, is encourage you in your own relationship with Christ. Uh, and, and then secondly, finding your place in the body. Uh, where that that privilege of serving out serving the Lord, walking out your life with people, and it'll provide a context for fruitful service, meaningful relationships. We would trust, uh, and so that's why we're doing this class. So, why? What is the church, and why is church important? Uh, the question of the church importance uh, is often, I think, overlooked. Sometimes when you talk about church, it's kind of like uh, just assumed uh, that uh, that there's there's all kinds of churches and you know they're all all churches are just churches and and that's not necessarily so there's quite significant difference between churches and so we we have to stop and think why is the church important what is the church what's the purpose of the church so we'll explore both the big picture and specifically the local church uh, picture the church at large 
which oftentimes is called the universal church, uh, which we're all a part of. If you've expressed faith in Jesus Christ, we're all a part of that local, uh, that universal church. But then the importance of the local church, that place where you're actually living out your life on a normal day-to-day basis. And so that's, that's an important part of what we believe. And, and really, it's, it's, a, it's just this amazing privilege to participate in a journey together in that local church. Uh, and if God moves you out, which could clearly happen someday, it happens all the time uh, uh, in our church, uh, that you know people come and go, and we're trusting that because of a class like this, that you'll be able to uh, be a good member of any church you go to, and we'll understand that, that significance. So what are God's intentions of, for the church from the beginning? What did it look like? Uh, and when we look at the Bible and, uh, as a whole, we look at, we see what God's doing, and He's looking for a people to dwell among. That's, that's what He's done in creation. He created people, and He wanted to dwell with them. So you look at right at the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, He, he creates Adam and Eve, He puts them in the garden, and what is He doing with them? He's walking with them, right? He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, He's having fellowship with them. That's God's purpose from the very beginning, unhindered fellowship with the Creator. And so he blesses Adam with safety, provision, human companionship, divine companionship, all of that. And then it's lost, that intimacy is lost with the incoming of sin. When, when, when Adam and Eve fall, they, they choose to follow their own way instead of God's. And that fellowship is broken. And God is not, the whole story now of the Bible is God's not going to leave it like that. God's not going to leave sin having brought destruction between relationships. He's not going to leave it like that. And so God begins a process of restoring people into fellowship and into relationship with himself. And so that process begins, it it continues with uh, God revealing himself to Abraham And he calls Abraham, and he calls Abraham to be a great nation. So now God, who had a people in the garden uh, that were his own, that was the intention, they didn't follow him, and now God's going to do the same thing. He's going to call a people to be his own. He starts this with Abraham. Uh, He's going to establish his covenant. So Genesis 17, 7 there says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, speaking of Abraham, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be with you and to your offspring after you. And so he takes Abraham, and after Abraham, you remember, probably you might remember the story, but but Abraham comes uh, and has Isaac. Uh, So we're having all, all of this is going on. God has a people, but then the people become enslaved in Egypt. And so they're, they're there in Egypt uh, as the nation of Israel. He said he would dwell with them. And so uh, as they're enslaved in Egypt, they're forged into a nation. And then he is going to bring them out of Egypt. So he says this to them in Egypt in Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. See what it says there? Among all the peoples, 
for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the children of Israel. So here's God calling them to be this unique possession of his own. Still, his purpose is the same, to have a people that are his own. In fact, when you go on and you look at the book of Numbers and how he brings them out of Egypt and they end up wandering in the wilderness and he sets up, they set up the tabernacle. You know, we're about to get into that in the book of Exodus where they set up the tabernacle. Well, where does God put that tabernacle? Right in the center. And then he puts the children, the, the different tribes of Israel, all around that tabernacle. So God is right in the middle of his people. That's where he wants to be. So, But despite those many blessings, all that God does, he brings them into the land. Uh, eventually they get the land. So then, as you know, they build a temple. Uh, again, the temple, if you look at uh, the whole reality of the temple, it's right in the city of Jerusalem. It's the focus of attention. Again, God dwelling right among his people. But they sin. They pursue idolatry. Uh, ultimately, God's judgment comes upon them. And, uh, but in the midst of that, though they are gone into exile, God does not abandon his people. But he, wants to, he pledges to restore them. So we see in Ezekiel 36, it says, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. This is significant now. He says, I will, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Same purpose. This time, he introduces this new little thematic thing, recognizing the heart that they have is not capable of serving him adequately. And so he's saying, now I'm going to give you a new heart. And so they return from exile, they come back into the, to, to the promised land, and you see partial fulfillments of these promises going on. But then he says in Malachi 3, 1, and these are prophets, these are men who are foretelling what's going to be happening. In Malachi 3, 1 it says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. Now you imagine hearing that back then. And hearing those words. And the Lord's going to suddenly come to his temple. And they're probably looking at the temple thinking, Hmm, what's that going to look like? And what does Malachi mean by that? Well, what we see then is the incarnation. God revealed himself most fully when he came and dwelt among his people through his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, what it says in John 1.14 there, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lord comes to his temple. He comes to live with the people, to be with the people. This is the ultimate 
of God living with his people in actual flesh. And so you know the story. We'll, we'll hear more about it as we go along. But you know the story how Jesus lived perfect life, died on the cross, this horrible death. But in doing that, he's bearing our sins. And then he ascends. He, he is buried. He's raised from the dead. Then he ascends to the Father back. And when he does that, he sends the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. You know the story there probably. Acts chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit and the church is born. The word Greek word ekklesia, where we get the, the word church, it means an assembly of God's people. The assembly of God's people. And so this, this union with Christ and the indwelt spirit now becomes a divine sanctuary where now... Not only did God come and live with us in human form, but now Jesus, what, what he's done on the cross and through the resurrection, he says, I'm going to send my spirit to dwell in you. And so the literally what then takes place is God does what he said in Ezekiel. He gives us a new heart, and then he comes by his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts and to dwell with us. And so now God is now dwelling in each individual person with a new heart, <laughs> and he's there, and then from that point he's calling all of those in whom he dwells to live together as a people of God, as what's called the church in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 he says, Do you not know that you, and that's plural in the Greek, you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. So now God's Spirit dwells in us individually, and God's Spirit dwells in his church. And so then we see, obviously, when Christ returns again, we see the reality of his unhindered fellowship with us. In Revelation there it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the Holy Spirit, New Jerusalem, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he, they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. You see this repeating theme through all, whether it's prophecies in the Old Testament, now to the book of Revelation. He will, goes on to say, wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And so we see this culmination. That it's this stage in church history, God, God, the people of God exist as the church. And they're joined to Christ by faith and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so they belong to him. They represent him on earth. Listen to uh, 1 Peter 2 there on that, uh, that page there. But you are a chosen race. He's speaking to us now as believers in Jesus. Spirit-filled. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What an amazing passage. Once, listen to what he says here, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Again, this theme, God now dwells with us. We're his personal, unique dwelling place of God on the earth. 2 Corinthians 16, 6, 16, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Just what, what you want to hear in that is nothing's changed. God has not changed his plan from the moment he created man and woman. He has not changed his plan. And now we see this, this reality that we're the body of Christ. We derive our life from him. We're vitally united with him. We find our identity in him. As, and as a result, members of Christ's body are intimately related to each other. And that's the way it's designed to be. Now he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Now you are, mem- you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So the ex- this is the exclusive role of the church. The, 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 the church is God's chosen means for carrying out his purposes until he returns. That's not to say that there can't be other organizations that are helpful, that are doing good things. But when it comes to what God's doing in the earth, it's his church. That's, that's his exclusive means for carrying out his purpose. In 1 Timothy 3, he says, If I am delayed, Paul is talking to Timothy, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, that's the church, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So that, that's how Paul describes the local church. The local church is meant to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's, it's rooted and built on God's word. So, given that we see now all that God's doing, the plan from the beginning, his purpose to dwell with a unique people, and now we come to the New Testament where God now is not choosing a nation, but he's choosing individuals to be a part of his nation. And so each individual then by faith in Jesus Christ becomes a part of that. So, assuming that you're a part of that, here's what the question is. Why should I join a local church? So the second part of this is uh, that we want to talk about is why join a local church? Why is that important? You hear oftentimes people will say things like, well, you know, the word a church member doesn't show up in the Bible or the, the word membership doesn't show up in the Bible. And I would say maybe used in that particular way it doesn't, but the concept of membership of the local church is very clearly taught in the New Testament. Uh, so why go to all this trouble uh, uh, to learn about this church? What does it really matter uh, when you say, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm part of the, the, the church uh, universal. Why do I need to be a part of a, a local church? And that's a good question. Uh, aren't, aren't my relationship with Jesus, isn't that what really matters? Uh, so that's not surprising. And particularly, uh, as you'd be well aware, in this individualistic American culture. I mean, our culture today uh, is just incredibly individualistic. And so outside of knowing Christ, you know, people don't want to be a part of something like, like a church. Yet, you think about it, deep down inside, everybody wants to be a part of something. So even without Christ, they're looking for clubs or <laughs> whatever it is out there 
biker gangs, you know, you name it. They're looking for something to be a part of, to find an identity with. And so what we want to do is talk about that and talk about why you should join a local church. So let's... So as we talk about that, uh, at the top of the page, there's God's specific reason, purposes for his people are accomplished as individuals join themselves to participate in local churches. While all genuine believers are members of the universal body of Christ, we believe they're to express this tangibly through membership in a specific local church. So just some quick notes about why we believe church membership is biblical. First of all, Theologically speaking, conversion implies incorporation. When you're converted, when you come to faith in Christ and God puts that new heart within you, it implies it, it's creating community right there. It says, he says we're, we're converted into the body of Christ. He uses this analogy of a body. So when you think about that, it implies you're becoming a part of something very tight-knit, very real. Romans 12, 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Membership, the recognition of a clearly defined community of people. That was, as we can look through the book of Acts, that was the practice of the local church. Acts 2, 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it's an interesting phrase. They weren't just being saved, they were being added to something, right? They're being incorporated into a group of people that, granted, it was just beginning, and there was only one, because <laughs> it all was happening in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, but it grew and spread from there very quickly. And so somehow, they were just able to be a part of this group, uh, and they knew that this was the church, the group that they were becoming a part of. Verse Acts 5.13 says, None of the, the rest dared join them. And that's interesting. It's kind of in a negative way, but he's saying people outside of Christ, they would look at all this, but, but it, they said they would, wouldn't, wouldn't dare to join them uh, but the people held them in high esteem so they could see what was happening. They didn't dare become a, try to become a part of it because they somehow knew that there's something missing. I can't be a part of that. But yet they esteemed them highly. So, uh, verse 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 23, If therefore the whole church comes together, this, this reality here, just that little phrase, when the whole church comes together, there's this implication that there's a group of people coming together. So obviously he's not talking about the universal church. That's not going to happen. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about a group in a certain location that they're all coming together. So an identifiable membership is the necessary condition. The second thing about that. So the, it's, it's, it's defined by uh, theologically, uh, through its membership, uh, thirdly, its identifiable membership is the necessary condition for pastoral care. So what do I mean by that? Acts 20:28 20, says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the flock of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice what he's saying about pastors and to pastors. So Paul is talking to the elders in the church at Ephesus here. And he's telling them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now, for them to be over, able to do that, what's the necessary condition for that? They need to know who's a part of the flock, right? They need to know these people have committed to be a part of this flock. They've been born again. They're a part of this. So pastors are responsible for an identifiable group of people. So that's, that's a critical part of our understanding of the local church. Because as a pastor, it's, it's critical for me to know who considers themselves a part of this church. Because I can't care for all of Pasadena. You know, I can't care for people that don't want to be cared for. Uh, trust me, we've tried to help people that have come to the church and, been, and we've discovered people come to the church, they want to enjoy the benefits of the church, but as soon as you start to try to, to extend some pastoral care, uh, sometimes it's okay, sometimes that care doesn't meet with their approval or whatever or doesn't look like what they thought and then they're gone or they don't want it and there's nothing we can do about that because they've not identified themselves as a member of the church. So this is an important part uh, for us as pastors is to be able to see people as identifiable parts of the body of Christ. So membership, number four down there, membership gives us a clear context for being partakers of the sacraments. So we believe that the sacraments are an important part of church life. We only have two sacraments, baptism, water baptism, and uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. And though we, ex though we practice open communion, which means that someone that's a guest with us that day who's not a part of this church but is a believer in Christ can experience that with us, that, that communion time is for us as, as a family of believers to experience afresh every time we do it the reality of what Christ has done with us. Water baptism is a part of that, uh, and that is experienced and should be experienced in the context of that local church. Number five, membership is assumed context for church discipline. So, this is one of those concepts that's a little bit challenging for people to understand, but the Bible clearly calls for there to be a discipline in the life of the church. Uh, Matthew 18, we'll, we'll talk about this uh, the reality of church discipline, believers are called to confront uh, one another if there's obvious sin in someone's life or sin that is leading them down a road that's going to be destructive. Uh, this, is, this is the reality of being human. We all have challenges in our lives. Most discipline will just happen as a normal course of life. We're just in our relationships where we're hanging out together and somebody says, yeah, I'm struggling with this in my life. And okay, let's pray and I'll hold you accountable. We'll help each other. And that's church discipline. It's just at a very low level where it's just taking place in our relationships where we're helping each other. We're holding each other accountable. We're aware that we're all battling with sin. It all, but that kind of discipline has to happen in the context of a local church where there are committed relationships. And if you go take that out further, where 
let's say someone starts getting involved in an area of sin that's now becoming destructive to their life, some uh, drug use or something going on that is beginning to tear down their life and destroy them, then or we, that discipline may need to go to a, a, a deeper level. Sometimes levels of discipline go to a place where the pastors have to get involved and help that person through that problem or challenge. And ultimately, that person can only be under church discipline if they acknowledge the authority, have, or at some point have acknowledged the authority of the pastor in their lives. If they... If they have not acknowledged that authority, they don't have to put up with any discipline. They just go to the next church, which they're liable to do anyway, you know. Uh, but the good thing about church discipline is that once it's, that's been carried out with an individual, then uh, another church who can get them can call us. And we do this all the time. We, we just went through a situation where we called, had to call a former church that had disciplined a person. And we, they were coming to our church. And so we were in, involved with that church, talking to the elders. It's just a part of life uh, in, in the local church. But that can't happen unless there's a commitment to that local church to be a part of that. Uh, and then lastly there, committed members are primary source for regular funding of gospel ministry. So that's a part. In other words, we don't expect anybody else to help fund the church here that's a that's a, a reality of members we're called to to support the local church and so we'll actually talk about some of these things more detail a little bit later so the commitment number seven represented by membership is the clear implication of biblical metaphors in describing the church so again you think about why membership we'll look at some of the things the, the bible uses to describe the church it's a body, a temple, a household, it's a flock, it's separate individuals joined together. So all of these pictures of the body of Christ, of the local church, lend itself or point to the fact that someone is very clearly a part of that. Listen to what Eric Lane said. God has given us four pictures of the church, not one. This is not just to emphasize and point to the uh, and prove the point by repetition, but also to say four different things about what it means to be a member of a church. To be a stone in his temple means to belong to a worshiping community. To be a part of a body means to belong to a living, functioning, serving, witnessing community. To be a sheep in the flock means belonging to a community dependent on him for food, protection, and direction. To be a member of the family is to be a, belong to a community bound by a common fatherhood. Put together, you have the main functions of an individual Christian. Evidently, we are meant to fulfill these not on our own, but together in the church. Now you can see the answer to the question, why should you join a church? So that gives you a bit of an overview of why we would consider church membership so important. Uh, next there, church membership identifies us with Christ and his people. Mark 8.38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his holy temple. This is really important. Look at, look at what John 2.19, 1 John 2.19 they went out from us, which clearly implies 
you know, they were there, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. He's speaking of people who wanted to come in and enjoy the benefits of the church, but weren't even believers in Christ. They just wanted the benefits. Ultimately, they're gone. Church membership is vital to our spiritual health and growth. So the next point, it's vital to our church or our spiritual health and growth. Uh, without being joined together, we'll lack strength, nourishment that each member gives, uh, including, uh, this, this includes us, uh, our ability to give to others, to supply for the whole body. Look what Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body all these people joined and held together by every joint which is, which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he gives this amazing picture. He's using this, this analogy of a body. We're all a part of one body, and each part of the body is doing its thing so that the whole body is healthy. See, I mean, that just is such a, a clear picture of how important each person is and how important it is that each person recognizes they're a part of that particular body. It's worked out in committed relationships. Uh, and so that has a lot of implications for our lives. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it's called today that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is the body working together. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you see this picture of the whole, every individual, the importance of of every individual. Next, we see church membership enables to use our spiritual gifts. So, without going into great detail on this, uh, this is the reality of all of us. We all have spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us that as believers, you've been given spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And he goes on talking about this reality that we're all gifted. 1 Peter 4 says, as each has received the gift, use it to serve one another. So there it is. We're called to use it. We'll find out more about gifts as we go on, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean a, some kind of a supernatural spiritual gift. It may mean back, but typically in the Bible we see, we see both spectacular gifts, but we also see very unspectacular gifts. Someone that has the gift, Romans 12, uh, Romans, yeah, 12 says, talks about the gift of administration. Not particularly spectacular. Uh, it's not a healing taking place. But man, if you've ever experienced someone with the gift of administration, you know the benefit of how wonderful that is that someone's able to organize and administrate things. So those are all kinds of gifts that are used in the context of the body of Christ. Uh, next, church membership enables us to be spiritual nourished through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. So one of the realities is what pastors are called to do is equip people. 
for the work of the service. And the primary way they do this is through the preaching of God's word. Uh, and there is a lot of heretical teaching out there. There's a lot of teaching that people will even quote scripture and yet it's taught in a way as to actually skew the scriptures. And in our day and age, you go on Facebook, you know, it used to be uh, just getting a, a cassette tape in the mail. Now you can go online and you can hear podcasts from all over the world instantly. And it's very important to know, is this word being taught and preached accurately? And so that's why it's important to be a part of a local church because you're, you're putting yourself under people that you believe are preaching God's word accurately. Ephesians 4.11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain of the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, I'm going to stop there, but this is that reality where where the, that God gives these offices, these people in the church, to equip the people to do the work of the service. So it's, it, it's, it's an important part of your being a part of a local church where you're getting the teaching of the Word of God, you're getting it accurately, you're able to assess it yourself and determine, is this being preached accurately or not? So it's a very important part, being equipped as the people of God by the teaching of God's Word. So that's that spiritual nourishment taking place. Next, the church membership enables us to more fully glorify God and display the character of the one who saved us. Look at that, this passage uh, again, 1 Peter 2.9, But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That sound familiar? I think it was Ezekiel said almost the exact same words a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So all of us as Christians have the responsibility to be a vital member of a specific local church. Now as we bring this down to a, to a close here. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Uh, we we uh, love Charles Spurgeon around here. He uh, uh, is uh, one of our heroes. And so almost uh, no day would be complete without a quote from Charles Spurgeon. So here it goes. And this is one of my favorites from him, actually. I know there are some who say, well, I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church. Now, why not? Because I can be a Christian without it. Are you quite sure about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient? There is a brick. What is it made for? To help build a house. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that it is just as good a brick while it is kicking about on the ground as it would be in the house. It is a good-for-nothing brick. So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose. You are living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury that you do. 
And I just think that's a wonderful quote, just the reality that, hey, as we're called stones, living stones to be built, bricks to be built into a house, what good is it to be a brick and not be a part of a house? And that's the whole point here. God, wherever God takes you in your life, you need to be a part of a local house of God, of that church, that people. And so that's why we do this class. And so the final question we'd ask is, why should you join this church? And the answer to that question is, there's, we don't know the answer to that question. That's something that you have to determine. We don't automatically assume that you should join this church. That's why we do this class. That's why we encourage people to come for a period of time to learn about the church, to see. As you'd be very well aware, there is a broad range of theological and ecclesiological uh, doctrine going on out there. And you have to decide uh, what is it that you believe God is calling you to do. How do you interpret the Word of God? And where can you find that in the local church. And so we're not assuming it's here, but we do believe that by going through this course, you can be a good member of a church no matter where you end up. And that would be our goal, is to produce good church members. And if it turns out that it's here for a season, for the rest of your lives, or just for a season, then that's an important decision to figure out. So we believe that you'll find the church here uh, a place where you can thrive. Our primary concern is not that you become a part of this church, but that you're a healthy member of some church. To develop biblical, enthusiastic, enthusiastic conviction about the importance of involvement in the local church. And if, that, and if that proves to be here, then we would just welcome that and want you to experience all the things we just talked about here today. And so that's our desire. And again, whether it's here or not, that's the, that's the point you have to make. You have to determine what that looks like for you. Amen?